Ethos New York Nick podcast. Andre Gallagher, the Knicks fandom, Knicks nation is in shambles. We're, we're 65 games into the season. The Knicks are 55 games in the 500. They still haven't fired Tibbs. Randall still can't hit a shot. The season is lost. Wait, did. There's just two and four? There's, okay, they're just two and four. My fault. My fault, because I was just reading all the comments and, and all the comments and all of the groups and everywhere you go, you, you pretty much see that the season is over, that they got to scrap the season. That's a quote I saw. I saw the quote. Scrap the season. Tank. Got to tank. It's a whole lot of overreaction. And I can... I can Understand being upset that the Knicks lost. I, mean, I can, I mean, I can understand that 100%. I can understand being upset with the things you saw on the court. I can get that 100%. But overreacting is, I mean, can we be honest? It's, it's a little childish, no? It's a little childish, isn't it? Don't you think it's childish to see a team be 2-4? and four? Play one of the best teams in the, in the, um, in the NBA in Milwaukee on the road for an end season tournament. Have a lead with like a minute to go, even though their their second best player R.J. Barrett, yeah, I said it, isn't playing, and Julius Randle isn't playing well. But somehow the Knicks were in position to win that game, and if it wasn't for a missed call, by the way, down the stretch, they may have won the game. You see, the NBA pointed out that Brooke Lopez should have been called for a moving screen on a play where Milwaukee got a layup. But you guys are acting like the season is over. You're acting like everybody is is a disaster. I saw people complain about Dante DiVincenzo in the next game. He scored 15 points in, and I was like, it's like everything, everybody sucks. Grimes, get rid of him. He does nothing. I can't tell you how often I see that. Play Fournier, that's always fun to see. Play Fournier, because he's going to make everything better. I just don't understand the, the level of overreaction. I can I can criticize this team, and I will, and I can criticize Randall. I just don't understand why everyone's overreacting. You're, you're overreacting. The, the game that they should have won was the Cab game last week. They, they should have won that game. Them not winning that game was actually... A terrible, terrible loss early in the season. One that you could say, I think I said it in the the show before. You had to stomp the Cavs out early because you know they wanted the game. They wanted the game desperately, and you screwed around the whole game. They made it a defensive scrum. And if, if the Knicks go down the stretch in these games, they're going to lose. They're not the worst team in the league down the stretch of games. But and I actually had a little back and forth with someone on Twitter about last season. They were near tops in the league and lost leads with less than five minutes ago in a the game. They were near the bottom in the league and wins with leads with less than two minutes to go and minutes to go. They they lose leads down the stretch of games. Now they won a good a good amount of those games too. But at the rate relative to the rest of the league, they were, they were near the bottom of the league. 
They were near the bottom of the league. With 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 five minutes ago, they were around the middle of the league. And the last time the last time on the clock, the Knicks were a worse team in terms of winning games. Now, why is that? The Knicks defense, and I said this a couple shows ago, right? Everyone is focused on the Knicks defense, and that's this is kind of directed at Jonathan Macri, who does an excellent job with his Knicks podcast. And I watched it. I watched one of his podcasts uh, coming into the season, and he talked about the Knicks defense and, and how the Knicks defense was 19th in defensive rating last year. So they were never, weren't a good defense, and I, I thought that was disingenuous because that was if you go from post All Star break, they were much better defensively. They were much better defensively. They, you can't you can't just stick with the the whole season. And you might say that's convenient, whatever, convenient, static. No. The reason why the Fournier, the calls for Fournier to play when when everyone is healthy. When they, when everyone is not healthy, I get it. And you say, oh, well, RJ's not healthy. But RJ's not healthy at a position where the Knicks have a lot of players at. So could you have snuck Fournier in the game? Yes. But why would you put Fournier in the game over Miles McBride, who Miles McBride was actually playing decently? In the preseason, and he actually makes a difference uh, on the defensive end of the floor. So, and and his net rating last year was higher than Fournier's. So there were, and and I think I made this statement. I made this statement before the season too. McBride and Sims are going in the game before Fournier is. Fournier is behind those two guys in the rotation because McBride, even though his jump shot is sometimes he. You saw in the end of Pelicans game, he stepped it up. He's he's confident. He can knock a shot down. He's not he's not terrible, terrible. His numbers say he's terrible, but he's not incapable of hitting the shot. He's not going to play big minutes. He's not incapable of making offensive plays. And he's a very good point of attack defender. And when he was on the floor, the Knicks defense gets better. So why would why would he not play? You want to debate uh, Sims and Fournier? You can. But I think you know that Tibbs is partial to Sims. And if you're talking about the Milwaukee game where they have a lot of size, you don't want to take out the guys you were playing in Hart and Dante and quickly coming off the bench and replace them with a player who whose size isn't a benefit to them. He's taller than those guys, but he's not he's not a better rebounder than Hart is. He's not a better scrapper than Dante is. He's not a better defensive player than IQ is. So even with his size, the things that he gives up when he's on the floor kind of mitigates whatever he's giving you because he's a couple inches taller. So if you think you're too small out there, you're going to put Sims in the game. You're not going to put Fournier in the game. Now, I get it. Oh, the Knicks aren't shooting well. They should put a shooter in. Yeah, I get it. I, I do. I understand the notion. But please, and this brings me back to the point with Jonathan Macri, when Fournier was removed from the lineup, and he wasn't the only one, Rose was too, the Knicks' defense was off the charts. It was off the charts. So whatever Fournier was giving you on offense, he was giving back on defense and putting someone on the floor. Now, Grimes got entered in that rotation at the time, but McBride got entered into the rotation as well. And when he was on the floor with Quickly and Grimes, they were an excellent defensive duo or, or trio, right? And the Knicks' defensive numbers, they shot through the roof just by removing Rose and Fournier out of the lineup. Now, Fournier on his own was, was a negative out there on the court. Was he not a shooter back then? Of course he was. 
The Knicks were a disaster the year before. Fournier broke the record, Nick record for threes. Him being on the floor as a three-point shooter has not translated into wins for the Knicks. I don't understand why y'all don't know that. Like, I can understand if you try to make a nuanced argument that, oh, well, if you put Fournier in this position with this guy on the floor and that guy on the floor just for 15 minutes here and 10 and 20 minutes here, whatever, and just to get a, a spark or blah, 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 okay, against this matchup. Okay, all right, all right. But just a blanket idea that Fournier needs to come on the floor because the Knicks aren't shooting well, it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't pass the sniff test. They were losing last year when he was playing, and he wasn't shooting well, by the way. Because this is not a video game. You can't just put a guy in because you know he's a shooter and say he's going to hit shots. Not when you've seen him come on the floor and not actually hit shots. He's it, it, You put him on the floor for five minutes and he gives up a bunch of points, but then he goes over two from three. Like, what? <laughs> Why? Why do you think that is a positive? He hits one three and then you guys are jumping for joy. Why do you think that's a positive if he's given all the points back on the defensive end? You speak about Fournier like he is the magic elixir to all the Knicks' problems, like he had not already been on the floor. And when they took him off the floor, they became a better player, a, a, better, a better team, sorry. A better team. As soon as he came off the floor, as soon as he came off the floor, the Knicks went on a winning streak. Do you remember? The Knicks record would be even greater if they ain't had a losing streak like a month later. So when you look at the total record, say, oh, the record is only a few games better when Fournier is playing. Yeah, a few games better is already a win. It's already a win. But the reason why they're only a few games better is because they hit a snide later on down the line. And that was before Hart got there. So you can't keep acting like Fournier is the magic bullet. He's, he has not shown himself to be that. He's not shown himself to be that. So what you're saying is even though it didn't work in the past, you think it's going to work in the future. That's okay. Just make sure you say that. Acknowledge that it didn't work before. And back to Jonathan Macri, that was the reason why the Knicks defensive rating on the season was as low as it was. Because in the beginning of the season, they were not good defensively. And then they made the changes and they became good defensively. And they finished the season. Actually, not what they finished the season, but post-All-Star break. Actually, let's do it this way. January, because you know they made that change in December, right? January, the Knicks were 11th in defensive efficiency or defensive rating. That was in January. They made this call in early December, right? So. Let me look up December defensive rating. December defensive rating, the Knicks were fifth. Okay, they were fifth. Let's look up November defensive rating. November, Fournier was playing. Their defensive rating in November was still scrolling, still scrolling. 17th. 17th. Defensive rating in November, 17th. In December, it was 5th. All right? January, they fell back. I think that was when the losing streak was. I'm not going to look it up, but I'm pretty sure that's when the losing streak was. They fell to 11th. In February, that was when Hart joined the team at the end of the month, the Knicks were 
Tied for second. Tied for second. In March, they were 8th. Tied for 8th. With 3 teams. 4 teams tied for 8th. 5 teams they were tied for 8th. And their record was 9-6 and six in March. That was the end of the season, and I think that was when Julius got hurt. Okay, so, and then the, in the last month of the season was just April. That was four games, two and two. You know, Julius was hurt. That's like a week's worth of games. So I think I'm making my point. The Knicks made changes during the season that in, improved their defense. So you can't just look at their overall defensive rating. I'm, I'm I was surprised that it was looked at that simply, right? There's way more nuance there that's not convenient statting. They changed the rotation in December, improved defensively. They traded for Hart, improved defensively. I made the point in a previous show. You look at the playoffs, they played those teams. Obviously, they beat the Cavs, but Miami, they kept them to low-scoring outputs. Their defense, it looks bad sometimes because their offense is so bad. The problem on this team is offense. And and Tibbs is going to tell you, well, our offensive efficiency was whatever it was last year, like third in the league. Right? Whatever it ended up being, it was like really, really high. I get that. But their field goal percentage was low. So their offensive efficiency was a product of Mitchell Robinson giving them second shots. Okay? So that means... Whatever offense they were running to get those first shots, they were shooting shooting a poor percentage. I can tell you that without even looking it up. Nope, I'm I'm looking it up. They were they were 20th in the league in field goal percentage last year. 20th. Right? 20th in the league in field goal percentage. And in three-point shooting percentage, they were 19th in the league, three-point shooting percentage. Right, so to have an offensive efficiency that was, I believe it was top five, and I'm not looking that up right now, but I believe it was top five in the league. Right, to have an offensive efficiency that that high is what? It's a product of Mitchell Robinson and Hartenstein getting offensive rebounds, offensive rating, offensive rating. I'm saying efficiency, offensive rating. The Knicks were fourth in the league, fourth. Now, how can you shoot that poorly and be fourth in the league in offensive rating? Their problem is the offense. Even last year was the offense. They averaged 100. They played better last year offensively than they had the, the first, you know, five, four, six games of the season. But, you know, I think they averaged about 115 points per game last year, which is good for them. And they put them like right around the middle of the league, somewhere around there, which is fine for a team that's good defensively. But that's regular season stuff. In the playoffs, you're playing against the best defensive team. So your your rating, your offensive rating, your percentages, all of that stuff has to be good to start with because it's going to take a dip. So it's like you're playing, you're playing with no margin for error. And the entire game is a product of your defense and how well your defense is playing. Can you stop the other team? And score just enough to win. That's not good enough 
to win in the playoffs, and it's not good enough to win right now because none of you are shooting very well. Most of, most of them are not shooting very well. They're shooting even worse than they did last year. So whatever margin for error they had last year, they don't have now, even though their defense is playing pretty good. I think they're third in the league right now, like I said earlier. Their defense is playing, playing very well. You know, everyone's focused on, oh, Obi Top is not here, so they don't have any size. Shut up. Their defense is playing very well. I just ran off the numbers for their defense last year. This is only six games. It was only one month where they played defense as, at, at the level they're playing defense right now. Actually, I shouldn't say that. I should actually look at the numbers and not where they ranked because that's relative to everyone else in the league. So that's probably not fair to say. But they're playing well right now relative to the rest of the league right now. They're playing well. But their offensive woes, strategy, and approach was flawed last year and is flawed now. So flawed is flawed conceptually. And we can sit here and criticize Randall. I can criticize Randall. You guys have been criticizing Randall uh, all weekend. Uh, listen, you're you're right. You're right. He was putrid. I can tell you what Randall is doing out there. I can tell you how ridiculous it is. You all know it. We all agree. You know, some go harder than others. His overall effort. There was there was a play down the stretch where he he just loafed because here's the thing. The play was for him, and and Jalen Brunson took the shot. So he pouted and loafed down court. And Milwaukee scored because he just wasn't attentive defensively, and they got offensive rebounds because he was just watching. Listen, I I can't can't make excuses for that, man. You've seen Julius play at a different gear. It doesn't matter if he's making shots or not. not. That becomes a, a different conversation. You've seen him play at a gear, a hustle gear, that he's not playing with all the time. So you can't defend it. It's night and day. And those plays matter. They matter. So him playing so poorly offensively, it just exacerbates the issue. Like, stop it. Stop with the nonsense, man. He he can't he cannot keep coming into these games playing like this because he's mad that he's not getting the ball and he's mad because this ain't happening, that's not happening. You gotta hustle, man. What are you doing? I don't understand his he's too by all reports. And I got a chance to talk to somebody who actually worked with him. He's just an awesome person. Why are you doing this, man? Why? Why? Everyone can see you. Everyone can see you. Stop it. It's just maddening to me. And that's before you even criticize whatever you're doing offensively. It's just maddening to me that he he thinks that he can loaf out there on the court and nobody can see it. But if you want to start at the problems with the Knicks offense, it actually doesn't start with Randall. Even though you can make a general umbrella statement and say, you cannot beat one of the best teams in the league when you don't have your second best player in R.J. Barrett and Julius Randle playing the way he is. You can't win, even though Knicks almost won. You can't win. Can't win that way. Right? Can you, you can make that statement, a very general statement. 
But the reason why the Knicks are struggling, and these reasons actually bleed into Julius Randle's play, the way they run their offense is forever doomed as long as Mitchell Robinson is on the court in the positions that he's on the court, right? Meaning he could be on the court and they could put him in different places and do different things that keeps him out of the paint and keeps his man having to scramble to the paint to to stop penetration as opposed to always just standing right there. As long as they continue to do that, their offense is doomed to fail. It doesn't mean they won't start shooting better, shooting a little bit better, and reverting to the mean. It means they will never be good offensively as long as they keep putting Mitchell where he is. And the problem is, Tibbs and Mitchell, they don't want to be outside the paint because then he doesn't get the offensive rebounds. That's the part where people like me who know that Mitchell's clogging the paint and that's affecting Julius Randle. It affects R.J. Barrett a little bit less than Julius Randle, but it affects him. It affects Jalen Brunson, but it affects him, affects him least of all, right? It affects IQ, but it affects him least of all. It affects all of these guys to some degree because when you drive to the basket, Mitchell's man is always there and Mitchell is not presenting himself as an open target to get the ball. He positions himself right behind the defender. The low man in the corner defensively comes down, he drops down, and he puts his body on Mitchell so that Mitchell cannot be open in that spot. So the pass is to the weak side corner, but the Nick players who penetrate do not make that pass very well, and they especially don't make it if they're on the opposite side of the lane, meaning the opposite side of the rim. It's it's one thing when you drive to the middle of the paint and then you can hit the weak side corner. It's another thing when you're driving and there's a defender in between you and the weak side corner and then the big man comes over. So there's another defender between you and the weak side corner. That's a much harder pass to make and most of the Knicks who penetrate cannot make that pass. That goes for Brunson, that goes for IQ, that goes for Randall, that goes for RJ. Come down the middle, and the defender is not between you and and the weak side corner. It's actually not the weak side corner anymore if you're coming down the middle of the lane. But, you know, when that low man has to come down on whatever side Mitchell is on, has to come down and cover Mitchell, tag Mitchell, that that corner pass is somewhat open. That pass is easier pass to make. It's also harder to get an open look there. Because the Knicks telegraphed that pass, right? That pass is not made fluidly. It's not made quickly. Guys don't desperately try to stop Mitchell Robinson from catching the ball. So they play it halfway. The fact that Mitchell can't do the things that Hartenstein can do when he gets the ball around the front of the rim, which means that he can, like, if you remember Taj Gibson, when he used to get that ball around the front of the rim, he he had inside position. He presented himself to get the ball. Right, He found a way to get the ball, which Mitchell doesn't do. He kind of leans on a defender because he's waiting for the offensive rebound. Right, Taj would present himself to the ball. He would get the ball. And if 
defense shifted over, he would put the, put his shoulder in the, in the defender and get a good shot on the rim. Little baby hooks, power moves, power dribble, hop step. Mitchell has none of that. And when it comes down to it, they'll just foul him and put him on the line. I don't think it is appreciated how much of an albatross that is for the Knicks offensively. If Hartenstein was on the floor more, they would still struggle because he spends a lot of time at the front of the rim and the offense itself is is rudimentary. Even though it's a read and react offense, it's not much reading and reacting going on. Everything is robotic. They would still struggle, but they would not struggle as much. Because when it came down to it, Hartenstein can make his little flip shots. He can he can score at the front of the rim. He can make his free throws. So if you can get downhill and occupy and occupy his defender, he can get you points off the drop off pass that Mitchell can't get you. And if that pass is made to him and the shot's not there, he can make the next pass, which Mitchell cannot. Mitchell is essentially a lob, a lob threat, threat and a clean pass catch dunk. That's it. And that rarely happens, not all because of him, but a lot because of him. He doesn't set great screens, which is another thing. So the defender is always hanging off, hanging on to the, the ball handler as he's coming down the lane. So there's no clean passes. You can always play drop coverage on the Knicks. Right? Not enough of the Knicks uh, players are looking for the three off the screen, but the screen is not great anyway most of the time. They just go over the screen. They trail. They trail. They trail. They trail. And Mitchell does not present himself as, as open. And the Knicks aren't great passes. They're not creative passes getting in the ball either, but you can't be too creative anyway. Right? Now, you see Julius, who's a paint player, because the mid-range shot is not a great shot for him. Right? It's not a great shot for anyone unless you shoot a very high percentage. Right? So when he drives, he doesn't, bl- he doesn't blow by his man most of the time. He's kind of crabbing to the basket when he drives. Right? So that means Mitchell's man is always standing there. And he always has to compete with his own man and Mitchell's man to score at the front of the rim. When he tries to sneak the pass to Mitchell Robinson, get the there's no passing lane there because he's a terrible passer in that situation. He's not very creative. He hasn't blown past his man, so he's operating in probably a four feet, a four foot radius where he's trying to either shoot or pass the ball to Mitchell Robinson, who's not presenting himself as open because he's already trying to get inside position on Julius's Julius's shot. So the Knicks are comfortable. With, and I know that Mitchell's supposed to be in certain positions when people penetrate. You can see the Knicks talking about it when he doesn't do it. They see You see them talking to him. Sometimes he does do it, all right? And you can see them acknowledge it. It's a lot of conversation about where Mitchell needs to position himself when guys are driving to the basket. He just doesn't do it. He doesn't do it all the time. And he's always trying to get inside position to get an offensive rebound, which you can't blame. He's one of the best offensive rebounds in the league. So that's what that's how he does it. But it's a difference when when you're one of the better offensive rebounders in the league and you're one of the better screeners in the league, like Steven Adams. Because you're getting people open. So he's not getting people open when he screens for them, and the Knicks run a very screen heavy offense. 
that he is a problem. We talked about this over the summer. The Knicks can't. The Knicks cannot excel offensively with Mitchell Robinson on the floor, playing the way he's playing in the positions that he's playing. They cannot. It's not possible. They don't have the personnel. The only person who can score with Mitchell standing there is is Jalen Brunson. And to a lesser extent, IQ. And let me not forget RJ. RJ has figured out how to do it for the most part. But against the wrong defender, RJ looks he looks real trash out there against the wrong defender. But he has figured out how to get those shots up around the rim, even though even though Mitchell's clogging the paint. But you're forcing shots up a lot of times against two defenders. Nobody, most of the league isn't playing like that. They're getting cleaner looks because they're spreading the floor. So they're either getting 1v1 at the rim, blow buys, or kickouts off the, the penetration. And you saw Tibbs talking about how the game tells you what you need to do. You draw two defenders, you kick the ball out. The problem is, it's almost like the Julius especially, it's almost like they're playing a zone. They're not afraid of certain shots that Julius is going to take. So they send a double team, and if it's not a hard double team, it's a soft one where that pass does not actually lead to an open look all the time, especially with the Knicks not playing well, and especially when Josh Hart is on the floor. He has to be wide open when he's going to shoot it, and Josh Hart is just a weird shooting situation. Hasn't always been a bad shooter, but he shoots like he's a bad shooter, it's, and, he, and he's not hitting the shot right now, so now he is a bad shooter. When he's a good shooter, he's a good shooter. When he's a bad shooter, he's a bad shooter. That's annoying. But to have him on the floor with Julius Randle, I understand why you do it. When it's winning time, he makes winning plays. But if the whole team is not clicking offensively, like Julius was clicking offensively last year during a regular season, you know, you don't need to initiate offense from Julius. You can stand Julius outside, which is what you saw in the preseason a little bit. You can stand Julius outside and he can attack closeouts if he actually attacks the closeout instead and not try to ISO when he gets that position, gets that ball. But as long as Mitchell's doing what he's doing, the Knicks are going to be three and a half steps slow every single night when it comes to scoring the ball. Because there are other things that you can do to get Mitchell out the paint. Out the paint. Quentin Grimes, he's not getting enough looks, right? So how about you do some off-ball actions with Quentin Grimes on, on the weak side? Why don't you do angled pick and roll with Julius Randle and have Mitchell setting off-ball screens on Quentin Grimes on the other side of the floor or for Dante DiVincenzo? These are two guys that don't need much room to shoot. Why don't you do on-the-ball screens with them too? All right, Because these are guys that if you go under the screen, they're going to shoot it. So they have to go over. They have to go in again. Teams have been doing that to Knicks anyway, but if you do angled pick and roll, right, and they go and they go over the screen on Quentin Grimes, he can get to the front of the rim. And he's real good at making making those live passes to to Mitchell, and so is RJ. Stop doing the high screen and roll where you don't get hardly anything out of it. RJ gets good movement off the angles screen and roll. Do it with Dante. Do it with Quentin. And and you know what? You know what you could do? While you're about to run that action with with guys who are going to shoot off of that screen, like a Quentin or Dante especially, or or uh, uh, quickly, you can flash the paint 
with Julius Randle and get him the ball 1v1 in the paint. With the with the big man having to scramble to get to him. You can just you can hit Julius at the free throw line. You can hit him at the wing. You can hit him at the top of the, the top of the key and have him attack quickly while the big man is not there and having to come late. And now because you have the big man scrambling to the front of the rim, you can drop off to a cutting Mitchell. These are like simple things that they could do. Simple things. Those two things, off-ball screens for Quentin and Dante and even IQ. On-ball screens with those guys on the wing. Flashing the post with Julius Randle. You do it with Jalen too. But you just continue doing high screen and roll every play, every year, every play, every play, every play, and then ISO and Julius Randle and then telling him, hey, you're not shooting threes, so get to the rim. We'll get to the rim and play against Mitchell's man every single time. The Knicks had a center who was capable. If they just had a center who had this offensive skill set of even a Taj Gibson, they would be head and shoulders better defensively. Even a Taj Gibson who can hit an occasional three-point shot when he when he's when he's feeling nice on his birthday can hit a mid-range but can score at the front of the rim. Even with that skill set, you don't need cat. You don't need. You just need a professional. That's all. Just a pro around the rim. You see Mitchell's trainer complaining. Mitchell had no points in this game against Milwaukee. Yeah, because he's going against one of the best defensive centers in the league, and Brook Lopez, and Giannis is in the area. Then we're not gonna not gonna let you get your little free dunks, my boy. You gotta be able to put little short shots up. You gotta gotta be able. You gotta give us a flip shot. You gotta give us something. Watching Mitchell over the summer, people posting clips of him going between his legs and doing euros and dunking. Man, just make a three foot foot a flip shot. That's it. And it's not gonna change because it hasn't changed. And that's all of the Tibbs detractors, all of the criticism Tibbs gets, all the people hate Tibbs, fire Tibbs, blah, blah, blah. I said if if they came out in the Milwaukee game without having made some changes offensively that I would be pissed off. I'm going to say it again against the Clippers. They had a couple of days now. It's, you know, the house is on fire. You got to make some changes. Julius and Randall in his post game has talked about how some changes need to be made, okay? But these changes should have been made, and they've not been made. And you have too many smart players on this roster to not recognize that these changes need to be made. you got to stop saying we need to hit shots. Part of the reason why you're not hitting shots is because you're not in any kind of rhythm offensively. And the reason why you're not in a rhythm is because you can never know where your shots are coming from because everything is a grind and everything is forced. You heard Randall say this in the post game. There's too many smart players on that on that team right now. Hart, DiVincenzo, Brunson, quickly. These guys are all bright guys. They know how basketball works, right? They know that you cannot grind this game out every single night unnecessarily when all you need to do is tweak a few things to get a few more shots, a few a few better shots. And when everyone gets into rhythm, then those shots start going down more. Offense is about rhythm. That's what the triangle offense was about. It's about rhythm. 
everyone touching the ball, everyone making a read, everyone reacting, everyone playing basketball instinctively. And because of that, everyone's a little bit more comfortable shooting the ball. This is not the way the Knicks are playing. And I'm not going to tell you the season is over. All right. They'll, they'll, they'll figure it out because guys will start making shots at a higher clip. But they're not going to go very far if their offense is not improved. And it could improve in an afternoon. And if you don't see it improve in an afternoon, then I have to, I have to say, I will start sliding over to that. Maybe Tibbs needs to, I don't know. He needs to, you can't just bring anybody in here. If I hear someone say Mark Jackson one more time. You got to bring somebody who's going to maintain the defensive strategy, somebody who's going to continue to work hard on preparation, which is all of these things are Tibbs' strength. The Knicks are in these games, and they shouldn't be if you look at their offense. I think you guys are underestimating what he's doing defensively, but I don't think there. I don't think there there needs to be huge changes to the offense for them to play better offensively. So to not see it, it's a bad sign to me. But that's it for today. Clippers tonight, Harden in town, making his debut, always fun. You know, he planned to make his debut in the garden so he could put on a big show. You already know the game. You already know the game. All right, so this is going to be a tough game for the for the Knicks. It, it's, you know, on paper, the Knicks aren't playing well, and the Clippers are coming into this game, bringing in, bringing in James Harden. They're supposed to win? They're supposed to win this game? We'll see. I, I don't think I don't want to make this a question of heart. We've seen a lot of heart from this team, but if you don't see some changes, I don't think it's gonna matter. But we'll be here. We'll check it out on Twitter. Follow at Ethos Knicks. Follow at Sports Ethos. Until next time. Yeah.